Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I'm recording this intro and outro in my car because it's the only place I can get anything close to quiet. So if it sounds like I'm in a Prius and it's very hollow, I am. And it is, but we'll make it quick and then get right to the interview. Okay, so before we get to that, though, I want to get a plug-in for LifeCast. It's my business where I interview people about their lives. So Mother's Day is coming up, Father's Day is coming up. Why don't you give them something, not just for them, but for the whole family, that will live for years to come. You can learn all about that at getalifecast.com. And now, without any further ado, here is Ryan Koppel. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful Hollywood home of writer-producer Ryan Koppel. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. And Arthur, your newest addition. Yeah, little three-month-old dachshund Arthur. He's adorable. He's all cuddled up in your your lap. This is his favorite spot. He's either here or he's somewhere in the house peeing. Okay. Those are the (laughs) two places. Yep, that's it. So it's better that he do the peeing somewhere else in the house than on your lap. It's true. That's the one way to look at it. He did pee on my boyfriend the other night. It was pretty hilarious. Really? Yeah, we were sitting on the couch. And that's your job. I'm kidding. No, you know. But you're sitting on the couch. Uh, Together. He's got Arthur on his back, just like petting his belly, and then just like, he must have got excited. Just like a fountain. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. All right. All right. So, yeah. He's just making sure he's memorable. I love it. All right. So, you've written and produced in a lot of different areas TV, but also a lot of internet and a lot of stuff in the gaming world. I'm reading your bio, the word geek comes up a lot. (laughs) Yep. I think if you look at my house, that also should. I love that you've taken geek. Geek used to be a bad thing, and now it's like a brand. It's like a it's like a, a badge of honor or a descriptor. Totally. I mean, I think that was the fun of getting to work in in entertainment in the geek space as it's been evolving. Right. Is like, I love that it's the geek space. I mean, I that's what I call it. When yeah, it's like, and it's like, but people know what it is when you say that. Yeah, it's like video games, comics, tabletop games. Like it could be any like anything that's sort of like a niche community that has like a really ardent fan base. Right. And and you've recently worked on the YouTube show Escape the Night, which is about escape rooms or escape room type yeah. um, challenges done on YouTube. And I know you through my friend Jeb, who worked with you on that show. Yeah. And Jeb and I created the game together. So it all comes together. But yeah, it's all part of that geek space. Yep, exactly. But now you've got a new podcast that you're producing. Uh, tell us about it. So it's called Voyage to the Stars. Um, you can get it on Apple or anywhere where you get your podcast. And basically, so the core cast is uh, it's Felicia Day, who you would know from Geek and Sundry. Right. Supernatural, Magicians. Um, Janet Varney, who's Standing Against Evil, You're the Worst, Big in the Comedy Space. Uh, Colton Dunn from Superstore. Right. And then... Steve, Wait, which one is he on Superstore? He's the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, great, great. He's not really actually in a wheelchair in real life, I discovered. Really? Wow, I what know. a liar. Well, I, I... I think we should start tweeting about that. And I mean, I think upset. it's kind of common knowledge, but yeah. it was funny because when we were about to record, I was like, oh, I don't actually know, like, do we need to get a ramp or something? Yeah, and, like, you didn't know. Yeah, and they were like, oh, no, no, he's not actually. I was like, oh, thank God, okay. Right. Um... And then Steve Berg, who uh, is in, like, The Good Place and Tag and stuff. And basically, it's kind of funny because I have a, a weird connection to most of those people. So Felicia, I used to run her company. We've been, like, best friends for 10 years. Right on. Um, Janet actually produced an escape room show that I did for Geek and Sundry, which is Felicia's company back right. when. And we've been friends and ever since. And we'll go out and, like, do escape rooms and stuff. Um, and then Steve Berg, actually... It's from Omaha, Nebraska, my hometown, and I've known him since I was, like, 14. Oh, my gosh. He, he and my Before brother... Before he was on TV and stuff. Oh, yeah, because he and my brother were friends. And when so, you were really geeks. 
Oh, when I was really like, I, I, I was the, <laughs> the awkward outcast social geek. Um, but yeah, so Voyage to the Stars, it's a sci-fi comedy podcast. It's partly scripted, partly improvised. It's basically about a group of misfits that accidentally board an alien spaceship, right. end up on the wrong side of the wormhole, and in the first season, we're really seeing them try to figure out how they're going to get home, and unlike a lot of, you know, like, it's not like Star Trek where, you know, they're on a mission for, for diplomacy, or like Mission to Zix, where um, they, they've already established first contact with alien cultures. This is really their first time humanity's ever, like, interacted with alien species, and generally across the board, they leave nothing but, like, a path of destruction in their wake. Kind <laughs> they're, of they're not, they're not, they don't have it really together. No. No. Not at all. So, um, are the people in it, do they have backgrounds, some of them have backgrounds in acting, but some of them come from the gaming world and stuff like that. How, how has that been to sort of pull the group together? Well, the, the one sort of through line for all of them is they all had a really strong improv background. Yeah. And so, that's been fun because that's what the, that's the skill you need on this Oh yeah, show. completely. Yeah. And so, the way that it works is basically we give them um, like, I'll write the episode. It's basically, like, a half-hour episode of TV, and it's broken up into all these different logs from each of their perspectives. So, like, Colton is, has his captain's log, since he's, like, the bumbling captain. Felicia's the lead science officer, so she has her science log. And Stu, who's played by Steve, is just kind of a bumbling janitor. Right. And he just has his own, like, version of a podcast he's trying to do. Um, but for each of those logs, we give them kind of, like, a beat sheet of, like, hey, within the scene... This is what needs to happen. Yeah, go from A to B, and then here's some, like, motivational prompts, but then all the comedy that comes out of it, all the inside jokes, like, everything really about the world, too, really gets kind of made up in the spot by them. How many have you done so far? We recorded 17 episodes. So it's all, you've recorded it all. Yep, everything's recorded. We're just in post as it's starting to roll out. We're going to do another nine episodes that we're recording for Stitcher Premium. That's going to be, like, kind of the bonus content. Nice. And then we've got a couple live shows planned and kind of convention appearances. And really the fun about the podcast is we're not trying to just make it a podcast. We really want to make it into, like, a world-building device. Um, Because I partnered with this company called Madison Wells Media. And basically, they have this whole division called the Universe Division, which is essentially like, let's come up with an IP and then try and find as many ways fans can continually engage with it as possible. So, yes, we'll have a podcast, but we're talking about launching a Twitch stream, we want to do a comic book, talking to Jeb about doing a board game. Right. Um, all as things that can kind of feed the fan base until we roll into season two. With, you know, I mean, obviously, like, the Pie in the Sky version would be like, oh, cool, what could, like, the animated series version of this be? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. It's, so, w- are you the the creative voice behind the writing of it and the story, singularly, just you? Yeah. So, basically, um, there's another writer I work with, um, this guy, David Burgess, who's amazing. And usually how it works is, like, I'll come up with kind of, like, the characters, the episodes, and then we'll sort of beat it out together, like, okay, what's the, you know, a, a, a story, B story, C story, etc. Right. But in general, like, you know, we've, we've been really conscious of wanting to kind of build a visual style for this world. And so, Even though it's an audio podcast. Yeah. So if you go online, there's a, there's a lot of really great concept art of all the different characters, including the guest stars that we're starting to roll out. Right. Because we wanted it to be something that, like, yes, it's an audio drama, but we want, we want fans to be able to envision it. And also, because I'm a huge fan of things like fan art and kind of fans' interpretations right. of properties... Wanted to give them the tools so that they really could see, like, oh, this is what this, who, who this person is. Right. Like, there's no question in their mind. Yeah. And that way, and especially with all the merchandising and stuff, you want a creative visual 
palette. Yeah. And for merchandising, like, I love the idea of doing a lot of more, like, in-world merch as opposed to, like, just logo tees and coffee mugs and stuff. What's the difference between in-world merch? I was, I'm reading your bio, and there's all these cool terms that I don't quite know what they mean, and, like, the, this kind of space and that space, and, like, what does in-world... In-world merch mean? In-world merch would be, like, for example, like, let's say, um... Let's say you had a t-shirt for The Simpsons. You could have, like, a very simple t-shirt that just has, like, a character on it or the show logo. Kind of an in-world shirt would be, like, oh, that, you know, like, getting a t-shirt from Moe's Tavern that's, like, kind of specifically... that's part of the story-driven. It's not, like, just a promo swag thing that feels like, oh, this could have been a prop in the the piece. Yeah, it's it's more insider in a way, so if people actually see you wearing it... Some people will have no idea it's yeah. a t-shirt. Other people will be like, hey, you're into that thing that I've been doing. I can tell because I get that inside joke. Right. It's a little more It's a little more sophisticated. Yeah. It's a little cooler to have. Um, has the first episode dropped yet? I know it's coming out this month, right? Yep. It dropped on Tuesday. How's, um, it, how's it been? It's been really exciting, actually. Yeah. It was one of those things, like, I've never released a podcast before. And so, right. even though, like, I mean, obviously, Felicia's a juggernaut in, like, social media. Right. Colton and the others all have really great followings, as well as all the guest stars we have. But it's still sort of, like, I don't know what that is going to convert to. Right. But last time I looked, uh, last night, we were number seven for top comedy podcasts and number 34 for all podcasts on Apple. That's pretty incredible for your first week. Yeah, it was really cool. And we got up front, like, the new and noteworthy yeah. and, like, right at the beginning, which is really awesome. So there's been a lot of support behind it. And it yeah. sounds like there's been a lot, there's more that Apple's even planning. Wow. So, yeah. So it's That's been exciting. Fun, like, it worked. <laughs> I know. Do you follow a lot of, like, reactions on social media and stuff like that when something like this launches? Oh, my God, yeah. I'm obsessed with Where are you at? You're on Twitter? Twitter, it's RW Koppel. Facebook, Instagram, all kind of the same. So what are you looking at, though, for reactions? Tweets? Yeah. With hashtags and... and Hashtags, just using the name and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always fun because it's like, when you make something, you can think to yourself, like, oh, I think this is really funny and I'm laughing and that's, you know, that's in a way enough in some cases, Uh but it's great to see when people actually, like, really actually like something. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're not like, oh, look, it's not just my friends who are being browbeaten right. and saying that. <laughs> somebody I've never heard of. Exactly, who actually liked it. So. What's some something that you remember that somebody said that you really loved? Um, there is one particular scene that we added where they're in, they board the alien spaceship, and they go to the science lab, and the captain's really hungry, and he starts thinking about this, like, old apple pie his grandma used to make, and the right. pie materializes. And we just thought it would be so ridiculous if, just in a moment of, like, kind of impotent fear and rage, he just punches the pie. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to be cheesy, but I'm like, it just seems like it'll be really fun. And that's one of the main things that everyone's picked up from the first episode. So I'm like, okay, great. They they get our humor. (laughs) I think that there is a primal need that humans have to, to hit food. Sometimes after a meal, and there's, like, a big cake there, and it's not all eaten... I really want to hit it with my hand. Oh. Why? I have this weird thing where I like... I really want to. Yeah. I can't stand dead food, is what our family calls it. <laughs> dead food. Which is basically, once yeah. you've eaten a meal and you have all the scraps left over, yeah. and you're just kind of like, oh god, now it's now it's disgusting. It's I don't disgusting. want to look at it. Yeah. I want to hit it. Right, hit it, get it out of your sight, throw it away, yeah. burn it. Smash it. All the above. All right, so people like the pie smashing. Yep, people like the pie smashing. As a writer, are there bigger themes that you like exploring with this project? Um, yeah, I mean, there's sort of, like, two different scopes of it. I mean, on one hand, obviously, like, 
I watched Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, et cetera, et cetera, all those things growing up. And so it's fun to kind of do my version of it, but in a more just sort of like Futurama-esque spoof right? in a way. Um, the other thing that's really fun, though, is that we are really we are really building mythology with this world. And I think as people, you know, it starts off very like kind of Sandlot episode, comedic beats, kind of lost in space vibe. Of like, oh, right. you know, they're just trying to get home. But definitely by the end of the first season, as people listen, they'll start to realize, like, oh, this this is actually, like, a an epic. Like, there's there's going to be some sort of villain. There's going to be real stakes. So it's not just going to be about this crew just kind of being like, oh, maybe we'll get home today. Right. There's, there's definitely going to be a lot of backstories that come up, secrets about characters, and just, you know, again, kind of pulling in what I love from, like, role-playing games I've played for, like, you know, like Xenosaga and a bunch of right. old, like, sci-fi games. Just kind of bringing those two together to create a unique story. I, I think. love that. Now, are you involved in the editing? Yes. Because I think with an improv show, editing would be everything. Oh, yeah. So basically, we get transcripts, which is, the transcripts are hilarious to read, and it makes me think that we should just actually release these as tweets, because if, because the transcripts are just, you know, it's like just going to like a, a website and being like, hey, here's this audio file, can you just yeah, yeah, yeah. do it? It's like... Right, 50% of the time, but some of the things that spits out, you're like, holy crap, like, it'll talk about, like, the Jews for some reason. Right. And it's ridiculously hilarious. But we so it's a computer that's doing these transcripts, yes. and they go... It's just, like, an right. automated process. Yeah. But yeah, so then we'll do a paper edit from there, and then kind of go through and do a an actual edit, and then go through and finesse, and, you know, it really comes down to, because it's comedy, like, that's yeah. where a lot of spaces, you know, like, breaths are really important, beats and things like that, where you just want to really listen to it down and be like, I think it needs, like, half a second more. Yeah. It's about rhythm. Yeah. Now, you're with Earwolf, right? Which is a big podcast company. How did that happen? Did you go and pitch them? Yeah, so basically, once we knew what the pod... Once we knew what the podcast was and, like, what we were going to do, we first and foremost over at Madison, working with Madison Wells, we were like, well, let's just make it. Like, right we should just do it and then we'll find a home for it in a network or we'll release it right independently if we have to right and so basically through that um started like recorded it pitched it out and then yeah we actually had multiple offers which was really fun that's amazing Um, but yeah i think people just heard it and you know thought it was something special now, this is something that I just want to know for me, but maybe other people find it interesting. When you're going into a pitch a podcast company like that, they listen to the product, they meet who you are. Are they like, how many Twitter followers do you have? Are, how important is it that you ha- already have a following? Or can they get on board with something they think is great? I mean, in this case, we hadn't released anything, so there was zero audience development, zero. Right. Like, it was very much, we, you know, we told them, like, this is a new product we're releasing from the ground Right. From ground floor. Obviously, we have some great names behind it just because of people who I was friends with and people we could pull in. Right. Especially through Janet's connection because she has so many comedians she works with. Right. That's really easy to get amazing, funny people. Um, but no, I mean, I think in this instance, you know, I mean, like I said, it helps with the talent, but we didn't need to have a pre-existing right. thing. Yeah. Um, they, they, they got on board with the concept. They believed in it. Yeah. I love that. Um, how long did it take you to record all those episodes? Do you just bang them out in like a few days? Yep, it was three days. Wow. It was basically three nine to ten hour days, so I felt felt really bad for the cast, because doing that much improv, like, they were troopers and amazing. Yeah. It's a way of using your brain, though, that's exhausting, I would think. It is, and I think that was the best part about having a new 
and different guest star every episode. Right. Is that that way it, it kind of changed the game dynamic. They brought so in a fresh energy. Yeah. So they can never get kind of stuck in their, their own way. Yeah. It's really something new every time. I love that. But also it's smart to do them in a row like that because with improv, there's details that get added that continuity would be a nightmare if oh, you yeah. didn't remember things from yesterday, you know? Yeah. So no, that was very smart. Yeah. We definitely had to do in like narrative order because there's no way we could go back. It's like, well, if you make up something in episode four yeah. and we've already recorded episode six, we can never call back to it unless... So it was People that... to remember. Yeah. And also just... Honestly, with that cast and their schedules, it was yeah. just easier this to be like, way to do it. let's just bang out, bang them out in a certain block of time and just have fun. I love it. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I had a thought and it flew right out of my head. Um, oh, talk to me about sound design. Because that's, it sounds like with the sci-fi thing, you'd want to really like, like, you know, crush it with the sound design. Yeah, no, it's it's been really fun to work on that part of it. Thankfully, Earwolf has actually taken that on themselves specifically. And so oh, really? Got, yeah, they've got two mixers, uh, Devin and Ryan, who are, like, absolutely amazing. And it, it's fun for them because a lot of Earwolf stuff is mostly just, like, interview talk shows yeah, or yeah, talk yeah. shows. Yeah, so this is one of their... I think this is actually the first narrative right. that Earwolf has. And so for them, they've been like, oh, my God, this is so fun. We actually get to, like, fully sound design an entire world. Right. And so, you know, basically it's like I'll send them kind of a spotting sheet or, like, just some general thoughts about the world and how it should sound, and then they spend about a week just, like, laying, layering all that in with music, sound effects fully, and then they send it back, and we just kind of go back and forth from there. But, no, I mean, for the, they've done amazing work of just, like, really bringing it to life, because I remember listening to early cuts before it had sound design, right. and you're like, okay, this is funny, like, there's funny moments, but you could just feel something was missing, and the yeah. minute they layered that in, it was like, oh, now it feels like you're actually, like, inside of the story yeah. world. Who's your dream guest star? Oh, God. Um, I would say probably Eugene Levy. Really? Interesting. I love Schitt's Creek. Yes. Very funny. <laughs> yep. So he's amazing. Uh, and I think just his, like, kind of quirky improv style. Cause he's right. Because he's done with Christopher Guest, which is this is obviously very much inspired by. Yeah. Um, I think he would really do well with this format. It'd be really fun to see, like, yeah. what he would want to come up with. I love him. That's fun. Yeah. Um, when did you move to L.A.? So now... Seven years almost. And where were you before that? So I've moved around a lot. I was in Omaha, Nebraska to start. That's where right I was on. From originally. I was there until I was about 17 or 18. And then moved to Tucson for a really brief stint of undergrad and realized... At U of A. Yep. Did okay. not like Tucson. Not into it. Nope. I'm an Arizona home. boy. I grew up... But I never lived in Tucson. I went to Arizona State. Just not into it? It was just really hot. Yeah, it is pretty really hot. Really hot. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Chicago where it was really cold. Right. That was better. Um, so I finished my undergrad off there, then, this is kind of my weird career trajectory, uh, then I moved to New York City for a while because I was getting my doctorate in forensic psychology. What? You, do you, you have a doctorate in forensic psychology? Didn't, didn't finish it. I started okay. it and then realized I was on more like an ac- like academic trail, so... Right, so you would just, teach forensics. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, this just isn't for my me. My heart's not in it. No. So I moved to Vancouver, Canada, where I went to film school, and then stayed up there for several years working, and then decided to come to L.A. because there was more opportunity. Wow. How fraught was that decision to quit your doctorate and do oh, something different? Not, not at all. Not at all. It wasn't like, oh my god, I've put so much into this, I'm on this path. It, I, I was very fortunate, because I remember when I had to call my parents and tell them, and just being like, 
Yeah. Hey guys, and you know, to their I want to do geek stuff. It wasn't even geek stuff. I just want to do something creative. <laughs> right. I was like that was really what the inspiration was, and my mom had always wanted me to do stuff like that, and so basically she was like, "Yeah, go for it." And oh, good. So that was that was that. There you go. Yeah. So what was it like to go to Vancouver for film school? I like that city. It's a great city. It was fun. My my ex-husband at the time, weird whirlwind romance of like, we met when he was visiting two gay twins who were in my doctorate program with me. We became friends and then just kind of kept talking and right. things went from there. And so eventually when I knew I was going to leave, he's a, he's a director. And so I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. Like he kind of showed me a way to be creative that wasn't like trying to draw because I'm right. terrible at drawing or handwriting and anything involving actually using hands. I'm not good at. Um, and so I was like, when I saw what he was doing with like editing and film and just writing and stuff, I was like, Oh, this is a way of like actually bringing a vision to life that doesn't involve <laughs> actually right. using. to mold something out of clay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you went to Vancouver. What was the film school there called? Uh, Vancouver film school. Nice. What yeah. was your like best project? Up in, like, at film school? Yeah. I mean, it was only for a year, so it's, I think the one I remember the most fondly was, um, we had to do, like, a super simple short that was, like, kind of interpretation of, like, transitions, I think it was something like that, I might be making this up, but basically, I did one about water, and okay. so, because I'm always, I've always been a huge fan of water, like, every night I fall asleep to rain sounds, my oh, that's hates cool. it. Um, like if, if I could, if I could, he doesn't if, like it. I mean, it's just noise to him. I'm like, oh, right. So relaxing. Like if, if I could have my way, like, and I could have like in water insulation that somehow like went throughout the entire house. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, it'd be a dream. Um, that's when you get re- really rich. You can do that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's, yeah. I think that's a ways off, but okay. hopefully it's right. that, that's the dream. A, right. a house with running water with, constantly. With a, with a water <laughs> fixture in every room every, that's connected. Yep. Every room. Um, but so it was this thing that I did where it's like, I, I remember the one shot that was really fun is I got a water case, um, for my video camera, put it underwater in, in the bathtub and then got a bunch of glow sticks and I, I figured it out when you those like skinny ones yeah crack them and drop in water they stand up straight kind of like plankton almost interesting so it was fun just kind of like moving the camera through them and like dropping them as they went and so like it was this weird kind of cool thing where like that really like thrum of when you hear something that's being recorded underwater plus all this light beautiful colors and then and then it would be intercut with like water sizzling or you know, an ice cube breaking or something right. like, again, very silly. Oh, I, I remember what it was. You had to film something for, like, that was a minute, and you couldn't actually edit, so you had to go back and rewind the tape and, like, edit over oh, the footage. So you had, like, okay. a You had to edit a camera, basically. Yeah. Wow. Did you have a title for this? Uh, no. No. <laughs> All right. Unti- you know, sometimes things are untitled. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's the most Untitled bathtub project. <laughs> untitled bathtub project is probably one day going to be in the museum about you. Perfect. Um, so, when you moved to LA, what did you think of it at first? Did you take to it right away? I mean, I'd been down here so much for right. meetings and stuff that it wasn't like... It, 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 it wasn't a culture shock the same way. Right. Especially because I was in Chicago and New York. It wasn't like, oh my god, this is a big city. Right. Um, I was really scared of the driving at first, I'm not going to lie, because I've seen, I'd heard so many stories about traffic and everything, right. and 
But no, I mean, I thought it was fun. Like, it's like all once good. I, yeah, once I was here, I was like, oh, okay. And I was fortunate enough that I had friends who were already here when I moved here. I know one thing about LA that people always say is it can be very, very isolating. Yeah. And thankfully for me, I had enough of a foothold and then immediately was able to get a job pretty quick that I was like, okay, I had a routine. I had a place. I yeah. wasn't just like... Thrown to the... Uh, yeah, like, oh, I'm in a new city. Let me try to make friends yeah. as an adult. What was the first job you did when you got here? I worked at a friend's uh, production company called Retrofit. Okay. And so they do a lot of derivative content around, like, they've done, like, Heroes and um, uh, Vampire Diaries, like, kind of like the behind the scenes of it and things right. like that. And so I was, they were looking to get into more original content, so I was basically helping them to kind of put together a development slate. And that's when, that was kind of my first foray into the executive world, because like I said before, it was more like writing and producing when yeah. I was in Vancouver. Then when I got here, I was like, well, I should probably make some consistent money just to like, to get my roots. Nah, don't. It's not worth, it's, that's overrated. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm the poster child for why weren't you more practical. Um... When you started going to, into the executive world, would people come and pitch you things? Mm-hmm. What was it like to be on the other side of that? It's really educational um, in the sense of, like, now that I've gone back onto sort of more of the selling side, Yeah. as a buyer, you start to really realize, okay, well, what are the pitfalls of people who come in to pitch something? Yeah, what are the pitfalls? Um, it's sort of like a combination of either... Well, there's a few things. It's either not being prepared enough, where it doesn't sound like the concept has enough meat or is, or is thought out well yeah. enough. Um, so if I'm sort of there asking a lot of questions, not out of interest, but just to kind of trying to understand the project, right? that's always rough. Um, conversely, if it's too detailed, where you're just kind of being talked at, and a lot of times this happens with geek projects, I feel like is that, you know, it's gotten better, obviously, as it's gotten more popular, but... The barrier of entry sometimes can just still feel way too high if someone comes in and pitches this, like, epic fantasy world, and it's, like, not only is this really expensive, it's also, like... Dense. Uh, yeah, it's dense is a good way of putting it. Um, I also think, too, you just kind of learn, like, you got to kind of just get in and out. Yeah. And, um, and I think that it's... People are afraid to not share enough when sometimes you know, leave them wanting a little bit more is, right. is fine. Um, well, it's good that you had that experience though. Cause you could, you could bring it to you, to the other side when you go in. Oh yeah. No, it's definitely, it's been super helpful. I mean, yeah. since I shifted over, sold a couple projects already and it's, I can definitely tell like, okay, now I know like how to phrase this exactly for, not just for an executive, but also just for like whatever network or whatever platform we're, we're talking to. Like you really do have to, cater the pitch to kind of who you're speaking to. Do you take in visual aids? I usually will do a deck. Um, yeah. Just like 10 slides. Never put really any amount of text on a deck. I yeah. can tell people that right away because it's like a lot of times people will just sort of like throw up a slide and it's like eight sentences and it's like suddenly now they're either reading like me, if I'm being pitched to, I'm either right. reading that and not listening to you or the presenter is just reading off reading the same slide, thing on the slide. And so it's yeah. like, Okay, I've caught up. You don't need to say it all. Right, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good little tip. Yeah. Talk to me about escape rooms, because you work on this YouTube show called Escape the Night, mm-hmm. which is, it's a narrative show, right? They're, they're playing characters, but there's a lot of escape room type um, it's, things it's, that happen to them. It's interesting. So I've, just in general, escape rooms, I've always been a huge fan. Um, when I, did you do your first one? 
When was it? When was it a thing? Probably about like three or four years ago. It started yeah. to become a thing in the states. Right. However, flash games and stuff like that. I've been playing them for like almost ten years online. I don't know what flash games are. It's like if you go to like. Um, just like any website where it's like, oh, you can play a little game in the browser. Right. That was like a Flash game back okay. in the day. Um, but people used to do them online, so you could just play these games online. So I'd always, there was a really fun kind of like logic puzzle, right. lateral thinking thing. Um, then I saw they were starting to come to LA. My friend Annie actually kind of pointed out the first one, and we all went and did it. It was so much fun. And so then, since then, I've, been, I've probably done over 200. And I've done basically, and I've built my own as well. Um, yeah. It's been really fun. There's sort of there's two programs I've worked on in the escape in the escape room space. Yep, escape room space. I like to say the space, the space of, of escape rooms. Yes. Um, we I, th- I think I mentioned the beginning, but we did one called just escape. Right. Escape. Um, that don't was need to, don't need to embellish. It says it all. Escape. Yep. Just get out. <laughs> uh, that one was a lot more straightforward than Escape the Night is. That was like we got we got like four celebrities together. We built these rooms from scratch, and we were like, okay, you've got 30 minutes to get out, have fun. And right. so it was a lot of, like, following along, trying to have all the clue solves and everything up on yeah. the screen so people could follow along at home. Escape the Night is a much different experience, because it is it is an escape-style, like, puzzle show, but it does have a much, like, a, more of a narrative to it. So it's basically Joey Graceffa, um and a handful of other, like, YouTubers are basically going through challenges every episode, where at the end of the episode, usually one person gets eliminated, and the narrative of the story, they they die, or they're not dying, but it's really just them playing themselves, and they're just, like, having a fun yeah. puzzle experience with Joey and, and each other. What was the first escape room you did? Uh, it was called it, it was called the, uh, the Office. It was downtown, I think it's at, like, um, Escape LA. Okay. Um, it's really great. Everyone... Everything that company does is amazing. Escape Room LA, right? Yeah. They did the detective and the theater. The detective is the one I did, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it was in an office, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. That was one of the ones I've done. I like that company, too. I like their things. I don't like dark escape rooms because I don't see good in the dark. It's not that I'm that scared and stuff. It's just I can't see. Yeah. Well, it's funny because so many people, I think, have this misconception of escape rooms where they'll be like, oh, I would never do that. I'm like, well, why? They're like, well, they think, A, they're all terrifying horrifying experiences and i was like i'm like some of them are just like you're like just in an office an office room from and the 40s yeah you know? and it's like you gotta get out right and then they're like well i just claustrophobic and i'm like you know you're not actually like you're in a room locked like, in yeah. a space like yeah. like legally with fire codes you can't you right. can't like be like well we're stuck i say that as one group did die in like some european country did somebody actually die in an escape room? I think there was a fire in one, and they all... Oh, wow. So now as I'm saying this, I'm like, well, maybe just check, yeah. like, the quality of sure. the escape facility. Right. But in general, yes, you're not actually, like, locked inside the room with no way out unless you get out. The, it's usually just, like, you just open the door. <laughs> no, since you're sort of well-versed in that world, are there trends that are sort of like, okay, we've done the black light, or we've done that? Are there things that are, like, sort of passe, and you're looking for the next generation of whatever? I think people have gotten a lot better about having more sophisticated technology. So they're yeah. using like RF codes or magnet locks, things like that, where yeah. where you sort of have to put something a certain way and it triggers something. That is infinitely more fun than a lot of these kind of first generation escape rooms where you walk in, it's like, oh look, there's like 15 things with padlocks on them. Right. And it basically, all you're doing is going from getting one combination or a key to the next one. Right. The thing that I love the most 
and I think this is just coming from like a storytelling perspective, is like having an actual narrative that you follow throughout the room. Because a lot of them, it's just sort of like, okay, you got you have six, you have sixty minutes to get out, and you're just kind of like arbitrarily solving puzzles that are just kind of around for yeah. no reason. Versus some of them, it's like, okay, you've got to find this item that you're here for and get out before you know the police show up. Yeah, for example. And suddenly there's a little more of a framing device. You're like, okay, we're trying to find this thing, and we find this thing, yeah. and then we have to get out. So just even having an objective in the story world is so much more fun than just being like, okay, we're in this weird, cool yeah, world. Yeah, I need okay, a three-digit number, yeah. Yeah. I, you probably know Stash House. Yep, I love okay. Stash House. Uh, I had um, Tommy on the podcast. When I did Stash House, I got to be the person that flushed the drugs down the toilet. Nice. That's a very important part. Yep. And you, you, you disposed of the evidence. I just threw it and I flushed. <laughs> I was like, ah! Have, here's something I've been thinking about. Has anyone done comedy in the escape room, in, the, in an escape room space? Where it's a, a crazy environment. For, I, for example, I have this idea that, like, it's a tabloid office. But all the stories are crazy, funny, celebrity, pop culture-y. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where, where there's, um, where you're not just reading something that's, you're trying to put the clue together. There's, there's a comedic voice to it. Kind of. I've done one, it was called, like, the Zen Room. And it's very, like, weird and surrealist, where it's right. like the whole room is white, and you're trying to restore color to the room. Right. And so everything you do is just kind of weird and quirky and funny, and it's yeah. just very odd. And, like, right. that was really fun. But nothing that I've seen that, like, really marries comedy with it, where there's, like, a fun plot. I mean, again, it's, like, it comes down to the theme, I think, where it's, like, right. you know, there's been, like, a Wonderland room that I've seen a couple times, which those are kind of kooky and funky, and those are fun. But, but nothing the way you're talking about, where it actually brings in, like, today's pop culture references and like right but it's, it's still solving puzzles it's still using those same muscles but the content has a comedic voice to it or or a sort of surreal absurdist yeah uh, something all right all right i'm gonna i'm just gonna put that in my little you should do it i should do that all right just get a space make an escape room do it all have you ever thought about opening your own a friend of mine who i used to work with this woman claudia and i had talked about it and we we had this sort of idea of a space to be really fun where it's like, what if you had like a board game section where you could just get out together, like hang out with friends and play games. Yeah. And you had a couple of escape rooms and then a bar and then eight or sorry, then two bits opened and it's kind of like, well, that's basically what we were talking about. So right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's done. Done. It's done. done thing. Yeah. It's been done, but you don't have to do it now. You can just go and enjoy it. Exactly. You're talking about two bit circus, which is this crazy space I wanted to interview one of the, the people there because I just think it's amazing. It's in downtown LA. Yep. It's the size of a Costco. It's giant. It's very large, yep. And they have a lot of like VR gaming. They've got a little restaurant. They've got a bar. They've got escape rooms and kind of interactive rooms and kind of carnival games. Yeah. yeah it's a very like robust. And you and Jeb hosted your uh, murder mystery uh, event there. We did, which is yeah. super fun. So is it doing well, Two Bits? I, I honestly don't know. I've been it's like so ambitious, or it's so it, when you walk in, you're like, wow, this is it's so ambitious. You know, the one thing that I've always commented on is that like it's such a cool space. I just I wonder what like how do people show up there because it's sort of like when I think of like oh I'm going to go out tonight, I don't think of it as a destination because it's like well I'd have to like feels like reserve everything in advance. Yeah, so it's like more of a plan thing than it is just like. Oh, let's go to like let's, let's just go hang party out two or something where it's yeah. like yeah, you show up, give them drinks, and get some quarters and play like some, ar- yeah. some arcade games. What's your favorite old school video game? Um, probably the toss up between um, 
Earthbound and Chrono Trigger. I don't know either of those. So, because we're from a different generation. Here's my thing, Ryan. You can help me out with this. Okay. I, you know, with this with this tabletop game that I created with Jeb, which I mm-hmm. love very much, and I grew up loving games, but it's a whole world of gaming that uh, I really don't know much about. And so when people are like, well, it's this website, you should know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Geek's, <laughs> of course, Geek and Sundry. Everyone knows that. So I really got to get up. I got to get literate with this world, even though ours is sort of, uh, what am I, it's more, uh, it's got a sort of mainstream kind of Pictionary yeah. vibe. But it's a world that I don't know very well at all. I need to well, go to uh, Geek School, I guess. <laughs> well, I think the, the great thing about your game is it's, it's a good entryway to get people back into gaming, which I think that's been, like, the fun renaissance of tabletop gaming. Right, people that don't really play games would, would dig it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, it's, it, and it's not that people who, who just don't play games, it's like, they just don't know what they would play. And I think, kind of like I said earlier about that, like, bar of entry. Yeah. So with Geek and Sundry, a lot of things that we tried to do there was kind of exposed, exposed Gaming, whether it's tabletop gaming, video video gaming, comics, whatever it is that's in this kind of geek space. Again, geek space. Um, love the geek space. Love the geek space. It, but, like, portrayed in a way that it states the existing audience of, like, oh, this is fun, engaging, right. I like this thing, I like seeing these entertaining people play it. While at the same time, for a newer audience, I can sit down and be like, oh, this doesn't feel intimidating. Yeah. So we did a show with uh, Wizards of the Coast about Magic the Gathering. Right. I'd always been interested in Magic the Gathering, had no idea how to play it. It looked so confusing and scary in some ways. And I was like, I'm not going like, to drop into a comic book shop and play a game for something I know nothing about. And right, right. I don't want to look like an idiot. And I, just like I feel right now, I don't know what Magic the Gathering is. And it was clearly huge. It's definitely gotten, yeah, I mean, it's been around for... I think like 20 years. Is it a tabletop game? It's a tabletop card game. So it's one of those deck building ones where you're like, oh, I'm going to play like a mana card that lets me then spend that card to cast another type of card. Okay. But when we did Spell Slingers, which was the show we did around Match of the Gathering, we got this really amazing esports caster, uh, Sean Plott, just playing playing games with his friends, like very intimate at a tabletop, just like one-on-one. But the thing that we did was we, were, we really were careful about using graphics to explain everything. And I mean, like, like how you drew cards. Like, right. what I meant to, like, you know, use mana about, like, turning a card on its side. And it just got so popular because it suddenly became a thing where, like, people who loved Magic and hadn't played in a while, it was a good reason to get back, in, get back into it. If you loved Magic and were still playing it, it was a fun thing to watch because it was people who were good at Magic but in an entertaining kind of right. comedic way. And you made sure it was clear. Exactly. So for people who didn't know how to play Magic, they could just right. jump in and be like, oh, now I understand. Nice. Interesting. All right. So you've bounced around a bit in your career doing different types of things. Did you ever have an oh shit moment where you're like, oh God, what am I going to do next? Or have you always sort of like landed? I would say probably recently the, was the oh shit moment because... Like, when I made the decision, I'm like, okay, you know what? I've been doing the executive thing for years. It was, you know, I've worked at decent places. I was at I mean, the email chains alone would make me want to open a vein. Oh, yeah. No, it's... The the politics of studio life is Ugh. not something that is for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Say it like that. Um, but, yeah, so when I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to start writing again. And it actually yeah. came about not the, about January last year. And I made a resolution that I was like, I'm going to do something, I'm big on New Year's resolutions in general, but I was like, I'm going to do like a new creative venture every month, whether it's like writing a script or putting on the show like we did with Jeb, 
something that just like was a creative exercise. You're gonna do was something big like that every month. Yeah, but even like big or small, it could be like yeah. I'm gonna write a short story. Like even right. that would have been enough. I was a little bit more aggressive, so I, they were all kind of bigger. Right, but something things. something tangible and and that you create from the beginning to end. Yeah, and I you know and I had enough savings. Um, you know, obviously I have a house, so my cost of living isn't quite as high as if I was paying rent every month. Right. And yeah, just was like, okay, I'm going to try it. And so started it. First thing I did was like really try to write for, for workshops and kind of like trying to get in those like, you know, like the C, you know, like the WB ones or the, or the NBC uni. I did't think I would actually get in, but it was just a good exercise. Right. To like, like those, like those, students. yeah. Like some of them do the entry level writer diversity type things yep. or whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, this is a good exercise to get back into writing and being creative. And then right. just keeping that up from there. You know, then it just became, you know, I was able to get representation. I was able to sell some things, sold a TV show, sold this podcast, sold another podcast, have something else that I'm hopefully going to sell soon. And so it just sort of like the minute I like actually commit to like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop this idea of like, I'm an executive and I'll keep trying to be creative on the side and just stop that right. and say, I'm going to focus on this. It really was like a good lesson of like okay you know sometimes you just have to like dive in and that's awesome so it was scary i was like oh. and this is not that long ago no this was really just like getting back into in the past I love year it. how did you get your representation um a lot of that came from so it, it, it was interesting because like being on the buyer side again like you meet all you know the people, people yeah and so it was a little bit interesting though because some people you could tell they're kind of like oh what like an executive turned right yeah like okay we've seen this before exactly um you'll be back yeah but uh, I'm with Zero Gravity, and the, I, I met this amazing guy, Joe Riley, who just, like, we were totally, I would say, in sync on, like, style, things that we liked, the way right. that we approach content, um, and we just hit it off. And yeah, and he got a sense of who you were from your other interactions. Yeah. That worked out. So Good for you. What's the dream gig? I mean, honestly, just, like, writing man and show. Like, yeah, I mean, like a, te- a television show. Yeah. And I think... Comedy? Comedy or genre. I mean, like, I... I I tend to like the fusion of the two. Yeah. Um, just because Your I buffies. like... Yeah, like, I like the fantastical worlds and, like, yeah. the kind of imaginativeness you can do with having... E- e- even, like, hyper-realism. Right. Um, but my sensibility is definitely more comedic. Like, I love, like I said, Shit's Creek, The Myth, The, the Mick, The Good Place. Like I anything. love The Mick. I know, I loved it. I was so sad it was canceled. I know. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, a- 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 any of those things that have, like, a little bit more, like, a quirky kind little of... A little to them. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. When you were a kid, is there is there stuff that you were into that you look back and it really makes sense that you're doing what you're doing now? Oh, completely video games. Yeah. Video games and anime, when I was so obsessed with it as a kid, and when I say video games, I don't mean like Street Fighter or yeah. like a shoot 'em up. Like for me, it was always very much the narrative stuff. So those games I mentioned, Chrono right. Trigger and Earthbound, they're called like JRPGs, which basically means... They're these very narrative Japanese role-playing games that were then translated and brought over. Right. And it tends to have, like... It's like playing an interactive novel for, like, 40 to 80 hours, basically. Wow, okay. And so, when getting so into those really helped me appreciate character development, becoming invested in characters. Right. How you build relationship with characters over a long story. Just kind of done yeah. in a different way. In the, in the geek world, in the gaming world... What is what's the place for the GLBT community? Is there overlap? Is it a thing at all? Oh yeah. Is there a certain is there a, a gay uh, geeking group? You know, like how does that work in that world? Um, there's definitely a lot. They call yeah. themselves gamers, and it's like G A Y. I got you. Yep. Okay. Yep. Little pun there. 
Um, and you know, and I, th- I, I, it's interesting because I think there wasn't a lot of representation for gay people in video games for in terms of like characters and yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Generally, growing up, it was like yeah, you just if you wanted to kind of like lean towards that, and there was like maybe a romance option, you end up just playing the girl character and you right. romance the straight guys. Right. Um, I know like Mass Effect and a lot of the other ones now have kind of opened it up where it's like, oh, you can romance whoever you want to romance, whether right. it's guy or girl or an alien or whatever. Um, so I think we're seeing a little bit more proliferation of people being sensitive to the fact that like they do have a pretty robust audience. Right. And it's not that, you know, I can't, I'm sure there's, now I'm sounding like an idiot, but like I know there are gay characters I've seen in video games recently. I'm blanking on the names. That's all right. But at the very least, I know that they become a lot more open about like if there's a choice presented of like who yeah. you were going to go after, it, it gives you the ability to be like, you know what, I am going to be a gay character. Yeah. Or as a gay person, I could play a straight character and go after this person. And that's fine too. Um, the choice is the thing that's really cool to see now. Yeah. Now, from the outside, I would think that the geek space would be a more accepting world for everybody because there are people that maybe weren't the cool kids in school. Is that a misconception? I Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and like, anytime you have a fringe culture, yeah. like, you, you... These guys will be nice to me. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, people also don't like you. We can be friends. We, we can like each other. You know, it depends. I, I will say, it, a lot of it comes down to the communities you find online. Like, the community Felicia had kind of fostered around yeah. her and herself and her work. Yeah. Super amazing, super positive. Like, anyone can jump in. You feel like you're part of the family. Other things, when you look at, like, 4chan, or if you go into, like, YouTube comments, or, right. like, watch Twitch streamers that call girls grills and just talk about bitches and things like that, like, <laughs> it's not always the best, because, and the way to think about it is that some, you know, pe- people go to these things for different reasons, like, yeah. you know, and I, and I always said that's what being a fan is, is that what makes it different for, in this type of, this type of environment, is that you, you tend to be defined by your interest. So, for example, like, I love Pokemon. You can see I've got, like, a Pokemon ball. i got a Pokemon print. Like, yeah. it, it's part of who I am, and I wear it as a badge. Like, yeah. if you're a fan of football, you might love football, but it's not quite the same level because it's that sort of mainstream where this is not as fringe, obviously, but it's still fringe. Right. I think for some... Like, people like me that would come in and say, what's that? You know, like, I know what a, a Washington Redskins... Jersey would look like. Yeah. But I'm like, what is that weird ball thing with the circle on it? Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think that, you know, some people go to fandom because they don't have a place where they fit in and belong. Oh, that's interesting. And they become very protective of that space. Right. And so when you have something that's giving you meaning and giving, giving you a sense of self and sense of safety... You actually don't always want other people involved in it, so it's, it's you want to protect of, it. You yeah. feel vulnerable around it. You have something to lose, exactly. And so you don't want people to belittle it. You you don't want to maybe put it out there that you're into that thing, or you don't want people to just dabble and like yeah, like yeah. who aren't like actually into it. And I think right. that's the scales and degrees you see where it's, it's like interesting. some people are casual about it and they're like yeah, I love it. It's cool. Yeah, blah blah. Other people are super into it and then they just tends to not always foster the best community. I mean, like, if you look at, like, Gamergate... Right. You know, there's still... What's Gamergate? So Gamergate was this fascinating that happened years ago. Was it a scandal? Kind of, but okay. in, like, a really weird way. And so essentially what ended up happening was... I forget the woman's name, but this poor girl 
got accused of like sleeping with a journalist um, to try and get like a good review of her game, and it was clearly they were just attacking her because she was a woman. Right. And this whole thing started where this like alt right community from like 4chan that was super into video games just started doxing women and like attacking women who they thought weren't like having journalistic integrity, which which really just became a, a way to like bash women. That's not cool. No, it was pretty disgusting. Like, if you go back and read about it, it's like, like a, that could be a whole conversation topic, and I would have to go and do more research to like yeah. articulate it appropriately. But it's 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 it shows you that there's like really positive sides to geek culture and and the geek lifestyle. But like anything, there's always an. But it's not immune to, to to sort of like the darker things that come come up. Yeah. You have a lot of fun collectible type things in your plays. Thank you. Tell me a story about one of them. Um, okay, well, so there's this guy, which is really funny. So, uh... This is a hat that's a Pokemon hat. Yep, it's a yellow Pokemon hat, and I'll take a picture of it and post it with this image, with this website. That's Pikachu. Pikachu, okay. And so, uh, when Pokemon Go came out, I was beyond invested in it. I love... So you're out running around, right? Oh, yeah, no. Like, there's a park nearby that has, like, eight Pokestops. We used to go and, like... 10 p.m. and it would be amazing as you see like 50 people out just wandering around the park at night. I know they probably all think they're loitering or look, look trying to cruise and hook up, and you're looking for a Pikachu. Oh, completely. Like, right. and we would stand in like circles with all these people. Like, like at a certain point, did you make friends with any of them? We did actually. You just well, you see the same people over and over. Right. Well, you and it's kind of nice because you're like, oh well, now this weird park at night suddenly isn't feeling dangerous because yeah. there's like 60 people just right. on their phones trying to catch something. So, Pokemon Go... Um, that would have been, what, two years ago? Three years two ago? Two or three years ago. Okay. So, Pokemon Go did their own festival. Um, they've done two. I went to the first one. It was in Chicago because I was so into it. And I was like, oh my god, they're going to have some kind of cool exclusive Pokemon or something is going to happen. Yeah. I, and, want, I need to be there. Yeah, exactly. And so, flew, flew myself to Chicago, like got in Saturday morning, super early. It was a red eye. And then went that day and then flew home that night. But it was... It was the biggest disaster of a festival ever. It was like the fire festival of the It was completely... (laughs) Or at least the Pokemon world. Right. And so basically you had 20,000 people who got together to go in this little, like, I think it was like Grant Park in Chicago. Yeah. And the problem is they didn't actually, like, adjust it to, like, you know, get, like, proper cell service there or, like, get boosters for cell service because it's a mobile game. And so 20,000 people... 20,000 people all congested... Oh my god, I'm having anxiety. <laughs> ...in, like, this very tight space, all trying to play this mobile game, and you were lucky if you could open it up for, like, 10 seconds. And it would kind of come in and out, and they were, like, trying to be positive, and be like, we're trying to get it fixing, we're trying to get it working, it should be working soon. Because hour the, the, after hour... After and hour went. What people were there to play. They weren't there to see panels or, you know, they no, were there. No, it was literally just an empty field where you were right. supposed to be walking around. All the stuff you would see would be in the game. Right. And so, being somewhat bald, I was like, oh, I need to get a hat because, like, it was so sunny and bright out. So I bought right. this hat. Right. And at one point, the story behind the hat that makes it special is at one point, <laughs> I'm sitting against this, like, just like, nondescript gray wall and I didn't see someone photographing me. Right. And it looked like it was, you know, it was like a nice camera so I was like, oh, they're probably just part of the festival or something. And she comes up to me and she's like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so with the Chicago Tribune, like, what's your name? Give her my name. And she's like, oh, you know, where'd you come here from, et cetera. And just started talking and just 
I was like, yeah, it's kind of a kind of a shit show, <laughs> yeah. obviously. And then by the end of the event, the whole thing was like people were like about to riot, and they finally just came in and said, "We're going to refund everyone their tickets. We're going to give you all this in-game money." And then what they had done was they were going to have this like focalized spot for for Pokestops. They're like, "We're just going to turn all of Chicago into this festival." So that way, they're like, "Please, like." Go out in the city, go walk around. So they thought if they let you disperse and play, that the the, the the app would work better. It did. So they could just move the imaginary things to you know all Hyde Park or all over the city, basically. Right. Okay. So that worked, and then it was better. The problem was I was then flying out, so I was like, well, yeah. So that, but they, so, you know, but you know, but they were obviously it was a it was a massive fuck up, and the guy, yeah. the CEO, totally just came out and fell on the sword. It was like yeah. we failed you. We're sorry. We're going to refund everything. Um, but the funny part about this was, so then it, it quickly became online. Like, people were posting on Twitter, like... Yeah, it's like the fire Festival. Like, yeah. you can't believe it. So I got to the airport, and so I just started to look it up, Pokemon Go Fest, and... Yeah. <laughs> Is there a picture of you on the Chicago thing? Well, so, so, so the AP picked up the photo as part of the Chicago write-up. Yeah. And... That photo became essentially on every single article on about Pokemon Go Fest failure, and it's like me sitting <laughs> You're there. You're the poster child for the Pokemon Go Fest disaster. I, I was. It must be the look on your face, though, too. It's not just the hat. Oh, it's the hat. Being an older male, like who's there, and just like the despondency in my eyes of like I just want to play the game. And it got so it, it got so out there that finally I was like, you know, it'd be funny. Like I should just post this on Reddit. And so I went to the Pokemon Go Reddit and just yeah. posted it. I was like, hey, I was at the Pokemon Go Fest and I became the poster child for this right. thing. Ask me anything. And it got so many upvotes and so many comments that I was trending on the front page of Twitter, uh, on of Reddit for most of the day. <laughs> it was like number two or three. And so I was just like throwing this whole like mock AMA just for fun and just totally like taking the piss out of myself and being like, yeah, I flew myself to Chicago for nothing. Right. So you were the face of it, yep. and this hat especially became yeah. the iconic imagery of like the guy in the. In the You're like Pikachu Time hat. Magazine always has the, like the little girl in Syria or the, the crisis at the border. Yep, Pokemon Go Fest has you in that hat. Yep. So if if you Google Ryan Koppel Pokemon Go, you will <laughs> I, definitely I cannot see it. wait to do that. I literally did an interview for some other podcast about it because they were like, "Tell us the details." Yeah, like what kind of wall was it that you were leaning against? Well, just like yeah, like you know, were, were people riding? And yeah, blah, blah blah. So yeah, it was fun. Was there enough water bottles? And were there enough porta potties? Did they think of that? I think there were enough porta potties. Yeah, but it just became wow. It was just hot, and you're just like. Ugh. Just That's oh, I feel for those people though when they realized oh shit. Well, I felt I mean I felt so bad for people who were hosting it too because yeah. they were trying to be upbeat. Yeah, and then like the audience again like over ten thousand people just chanting, "We can't play," <laughs> and just like drowning out. Everything. And the funniest part was they were live streaming this, so everyone who's watching it live is just hearing and seeing this, like, mob oh anger. Oh, God. And what are they... Because there are a lot of younger people, a lot of kids, too, are into Pokemon, oh, right? I mean, it was all ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a setting for a movie, though, that you met, that something happens at the Pokemon Go disaster, and... I mean, it's basically, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's the less extreme fire festival. I love it. Thankfully, we were in Chicago. We weren't on some, like, remote island. All right. You picked some questions from the observation deck. 
What photo of yourself do you hope no one ever sees again, ever, ever, ever? You might think I would have sent the Pokemon Go yeah, yeah, yeah. picture, but... That one's got such a good story. It's a good story. There's a photo of me from when I was a little kid. Nebraska, where I'm from, has this thing called Xarban, which is this weird... Xarban is Nebraska spelled backwards. Oh, interesting. It's like a royal ball that they do. Okay. It's very odd, and... Basically, if you're picked, like, it's like a weird social thing of, like, oh, they pick your family, and then your kid gets to be in it. Wow. So there's this weird photo of me in this, like, skinny tights, like, little page outfit with this giant pompadour poof hat. And it just it's, and you were just part of this festival, of this this ball. It's the dumbest photo I've ever seen. I hate it. Do you remember the event, though? Do you remember, like... Oh, yeah. It was yeah. so weird. It was yeah. just like like we had to learn the jitterbug, and then and then every family had to do a party for all the other page kids. So so like my family had to do a party, and then if you were a page, you had to do a, a party for. So all there the were kids. a lot of parties that happened over this period of time. Yeah, it was like this weird socialite thing that was bizarre. Oh wow! All right. When was a time in your life when you were in the right place at the right time? Um. It's funny. I had an answer planned for this, and now I'm like, what? Is that actually a good answer? I'll just say this story because it's kind of yeah. funny and cute. When I was a little kid, um, I had stitches for the first time when I was in a fight with my brother and I slammed the front door because I was mad and the corner of the door just like went into my foot. Oof. And so yeah, so I had to go to the hospital, get stitches, etc. And I had been really excited for Halloween. I've always loved Halloween because I was right. going to go trick-or-treating. But now I had this like paper bag on my foot and I couldn't really like and it was snowing out because it was Omaha, Nebraska. Right. And so I was like, oh well I'm just not really go trick or treating. And I remember being home and just really wishing I think I, and again I think I even like did like a prayer. I'm not even religious, but as a kid you're like whatever. Exactly. Or just, I'm, just I'm made gonna, a wish. I'm I was do like, a shout out. Yeah, I just wish that I could go trick or treating. And then within like a minute or so after that there was a special bulletin from, from the mayor, and he declared that because it was so cold out, that just for safety, they were going to move Halloween a week. And I've never seen a holiday get moved by a city before. That's amazing. So, basically, it got pushed a week, and then I could go trick-or-treating. And I say the right time, the right place at the right time, because it was the, such a correlation of, like, yeah. making the wish, and then it happening, and being yeah. like... I have magic you powers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tom, like, Tom Hanks would play you in the movie as an adult. Yeah, and then I look back. I'm like, the bummer thing is like, oh, what if that actually was a thing where it's like you got one wish? And I'm like, I fucking and wasted I it, it on Halloween. <laughs> you know? But do you remember indoor Halloween, or you remember um, not indoor Halloween? You remember the week later Halloween? Yeah, it was like it was, it was just typical. Cool. It was just yeah. like I walked around the block. It was still really cold and snowy, so it wasn't even like. But you got to do it. Like I did get you to got walk your outside. Wish. Yeah, I love that. What's your biggest frustration? That's another card that you picked. Um, I think my biggest frustration is... So many, like, inappropriate things. You can... This is... That's a good... This is a good place for those things. This is a good depository for them. I feel like this is very common, but the level of rage that I feel over it is probably uncommon. Um... People who walk on the sidewalk and take up the sidewalk. They don't pick a side? They don't pick a side, or they walk side by side and block it for everyone, and then you can just see the congestion starting to happen. Yeah. And I've never had, like, I've never been in a fist fight, never punched anyone. I, I have had, like, visceral urges to just, like, cut a bitch and just be yeah. like, do you not realize what you're doing right now? That's where all your age rage goes. Yeah. I also really hate gorillas. 
Gorillas, the animal? Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know why. Again, just some weird visceral thing. I just it's, hate them. It's a thing that my friends always make fun of me for, but they're just like, if we go to a zoo, we get to see like monkeys or gorillas. I'm just like... I hate those fucking motherfuckers. I fucking hate them. I just look at them, I'm like... So, Planet of the Apes, you're not going to go see Oh, them. my God. I I actively refuse to see those yeah. movies. The only reason why I might see them, and this sounds terrible, is that, like... I mean, I know they shoot monkeys, so, like, right. that might be a good cathartic release. <laughs> you're on the side of the poaching, monkey-killing people. You just I hate mean, gorillas. No, I don't want... I don't want people to, like, go and, like, yeah. poach animals. I just, for some reason, when I see them, I'm like, they just are, like... They're like little like fucking nipples, and they're. You just hate those fuckers. I, I know. I don't know why. That's it's, wild. It's such a weird like. Yeah. Someday my dad will tell me a story like, oh yeah, when you were a little kid, like you were a gorilla like slapped you in the face or something. Like, you were like, that kid that fell into the zoo yeah, thing or whatever. And it's like now it makes sense. Yeah. Now it you does. have a visceral thing against gorillas. All yeah. right. There you go. Um, is there anything about the quote unquote geek world that you don't like get at all? For example, like. I can't sit through a Lord of the Rings movie. Don't ask me to. I can't. I sat through the first one. It was a million years long. Yeah. Like, I don't have that gene. That is there one thing of, like, I love everything, but not... So, I think there's two things to that question. I think a lot of people think that if you're a geek, you sort of instinctively like everything. And all of it, yeah. And it's 100% not the case. Right. You know? Like, I will definitely say, like, I'm a video game geek. Right. I'm an anime geek. Yeah, I do not read comics. It's nothing yeah. against comics. It's I just not part of your. It's thing. not. It's not my thing. Right. So I think that there's definitely some touch points out there where it's like I see why people love that. It's just not what I have time yeah. for because I can only have so many passions. Exactly. The one thing that I don't understand the the like drive about is esports. Yeah. Um. I just so people playing sports on computers. It's not even playing sports on, on computers. It's like, have you heard of a game called like Overwatch or Fortnite? I've heard of Fortnite. So esports would be like competitive people who play Fortnite. Okay. So you're so you're watching people play a game against each other, and right. I I love watching people play games, but the whole like sort of stadium tournament style thing. I guess it's probably because they don't play those games. Right. And I think that's the fundamental issue with esports is that you kind of like. It's like each sport is its own sport. Like right. they kind of blanket esports all under one thing, but it's like, well, I mean, you have to. You have to depends on which one you're into. Football it doesn't mean you're like soccer, right? So standing with esports, you might be into Fortnite, but you might not be into Overwatch. Yeah, but I just it's just a culture where like people get obsessed with teams, and it's always all these like yeah. white or just geek nerd dudes who just play these games, and they're like get like these weird celebrity followings, even though they're like. And people try and do, like, documentaries about them, but they're just right. not that interesting. Right. And, like, but there's people whose job it is, right? That's yeah. how they make their living. Yep. All right. Which, I mean, good for them. But. Yeah. Now, you've done some, I read in your bio that you've done some merchandising stuff through different things. What's your dream merchandise item for, for your podcast? Um, I would say a video game. You, that's that's yeah. where it is. That's yeah, where it's like, at. I've always wanted to really create that kind of, like... Yeah, not to say even a JRPG, but just something that's really in world. It's really fun that people who love it yeah. get a little bit more of it from a game perspective. Right. And I think that's the fun about this podcast is that like because it's so open world and so like we can paint whatever we want. Right. There's a lot of different ways to kind of think to think about how you would approach a game. In that right. Sense. It would totally make a great game. Yeah. Um, how can people learn more about what you do? 
Um, well, I think the main thing I would say right now is just check out Voyage of the Stars. Right. Um, and it's apple.co backslash voyage. Okay. You have a like, fun little vanity URL. I love it. Um, otherwise, you can see a lot of the work that I've done on Geek and Sundry, which is right. just a YouTube channel. It's just go to YouTube, look up Geek and Sundry. And you, you partnered with her or, or worked for Felicia from, from the beginning of that launch, or did you join it? Because you sort of really helped build this near, kind of amazing thing, right? Yeah, near the beginning. So yeah. they had gone through about six months before I came in to help oversee production development. Right. And then from there, stayed on in that role and then eventually moved up into kind of more like a general manager role. But yeah, I really helped to sort of... I'm really proud of the fact that, like, we did a lot of interesting things that a lot of people have taken notice of and tried to replicate or tried to, like, figure out their own version of it. And it's really fun to do something that really just resonates with that audience. Yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. Sounds like it. That's cool. Congrats on building that up. Thank you. So you've got the podcast. Do you have your own website or anything like that? I don't. Do you I do, do, you do uh, self-promotion? I know. Do you do um, Twitter or any of that business? Yes, Twitter is uh, just R.W. Koppel. Nothing super fun or fancy. Right. Um, I occasionally do stand-up improv as well myself, so I usually will post it if there's going to be a show. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's mostly just been the working, like I said, working on Escape the Night, Voyage, and then the name of the TV show we can't announce. I know, that's so exciting. Is it a narrative show? It is. It is wow. a, it is a half hour comedy, um, writing it with Janet Varney and her boyfriend, uh, Brandon Reynolds. Nice. Uh, who's also a writer. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to say in a few months that we're making the show. I love it. So you've had the script ordered. Or you yeah. sold the show. That's awesome. That's a big deal. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was our first, it was my first TV sale. And so yeah. that was a big kind of benchmark. And again, when you were saying like the risk of like, oh, I guess I'm going to try writing. And right. it's like, it worked. There it goes. It worked out. Yeah. Why do you do it? Why do you write? You know, it's, I've always had a very evocative imagination. I think just kind of growing up on my own, not growing up on my own, but like I was, didn't have a lot of friends growing up. Did a lot of video games. Um, I remember one Christmas my parents gave me a camcorder and I used to do little plays with my stuffed animals. I always loved storytelling and kind of the escapism that it can provide. Mm-hmm. Like that's why for me comedy and the genre stuff is really compelling because I like that you can steep yourself in something. It's a good distraction. Um, and I, I just, it's fun to be able to say that like, or hope that, you know, the way that I've seen the world and my experiences is somehow something that people can relate to. I love it. Yeah, it's a nice thought. Well, it's fun talking to you. Yeah. You're going to have people that you know that are more familiar with that world listen to this and say, that interviewer didn't know shit about this stuff. <laughs> and I just want everyone to know that I know that and I'm okay with it. But hey, as long as you but, want to learn... That but you know what I didn't part. do is sit there and nod and go, oh, yeah, of course. I was like, wait, what's that? Yeah. What's that? I leaned into it. It's That's the best way to be because how else will you learn? <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks, Ryan. It's fun talking to you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks again to Ryan Koppel. Check out his podcast, Voyage to the Stars. All right, so this happened. Yesterday in Los Angeles, they had this thing called Strategicon. It's actually happening now. It's going the whole weekend. And it's a convention by LAX for game players, all kinds of games. Fantasy role-play games, party games, card games, everything. So it's down by LAX. And so Jeb and I, my co-creator of You Don't Know My Life, we went down and we got to lead a sort of two-hour session where we shared our game with people. It was really fun. We had about 15, 20 people come in throughout the two hours and play, and everyone seemed to really like it. It went well. It was great. And then after that, at 6 o'clock, 
they had a $25,000 pyramid game, but it was full on. Like the guy had, this company that does home game shows for people's events, they do it all the way. Um, and so you have a screen where the, the thing flips over just like on TV and a little backstory. I love the $25,000 pyramid and it is my destiny to be on that show. And in 2003, I got very close. I auditioned, I was chosen, I trained, I practiced. I went to the studio one day to be on, but they overbooked, so I didn't get on. I went back another day, and I was about to get on, and the executive producer, who I had not met up until that point, walked into the contestants' room, and he saw me, and he was like, oh, no. It was a dude that I had gone on a couple of dates with, maybe one date with a couple years ago. And he was a jerk a couple of years before. And he was actually kind of a jerk to me, actually. And so because I knew him or he knew me, I couldn't be a contestant. So it was devastating because I had worked so hard and I, it, oh. So when Jeb and I wandered into that room, it was, it was destiny. Plus, when Jeb and I first hung out, uh, the first time we ever hung out, we went to dinner. We bonded over our love of the $25,000 pyramid. And not long after that, I had the home game, and we were going to play it, and we just had the two of us, and we were trying to find two other people, but then we started playing and realized, we don't need any other people, because if there are other people, they're playing, and we're not playing, so we're just going to play. So anyway, it's a, it's a shared obsession between us. So we walk in there, pyramid's happening, we sign up, and nobody in the two-hour session has yet made it to the top of the winner's circle. So uh, we crush it in the earlier rounds. In fact, we only get to do two rounds because the other team um, didn't score enough to, to even catch up if they got all seven. So we automatically go to the winner circle. And um, we decided I would give the clues. Long story short, we made it all the way through the pyramid and win the $25,000 with 22 seconds left to spare. And I will tell you um, the categories in order. Um... So Dick Clark, the guy that's being Dick Clark, says, here's your first subject, go. Our first one was types of cheeses, so that was easy. The second one was what a diamond might say. And I was like, I'm on your finger. I'm a girl's best friend. You know, and he got it right away. Uh, the third one was things made of glass. Um, he got that. I said windows and a few other things. The fourth one were, were things that glow. And I said, J-Lo's perfume. And he didn't know what that meant, so I was like, shit. That was either a really great clue or a horrible clue. So then I did, like, uh, a ghost. I did Rudolph's nose, and he got it from Rudolph's nose, things that glow. Uh, the next one was things that surprise you. And I just went, a party! Like, I said it like that, and he got it right away. And when we were driving home in the car, we realized that if, if I had just said a party, we didn't know other things that surprise you. Like, we would have been stumped. That could have been... That could have taken us down right there. But it didn't. He got it right away. Um, because I said it like I was surprised. And then the final one was things with instructions. And I was like, a board game? An Ikea desk. Things with instructions. Boom. 22 seconds left on the clock. But the, and, and then we both jumped up like in the middle of the winner's circle like you do on the show. And hugged because you're just so overjoyed. Anyway, it was thrilling. And... Um, part of a lifelong journey and hopefully i will get to do it again but it was a blast so there's that all right thanks for listening we'll catch you next time on dennis anyone bye